Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Thursday, April 9th. On today's episode, the Frontier's Cassie McClung and I speak with Mike Bros, the Chief Empowerment Officer of Mental Health Association Oklahoma. We discuss the impact the coronavirus is having on mental health and the work of his association. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus numbers. On Wednesday, the State Department of Health reported 52 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 1,524. There are now 390 Oklahomans in the hospital due to the coronavirus, and statewide deaths increased by 12 to 79. Mike Bros is the Chief Empowerment Officer of Mental Health Association Oklahoma, a statewide nonprofit that promotes mental health through affordable housing, advocacy, and suicide prevention. Mike spoke with Cassie and I over Skype, and he did so from his backyard, enjoying a sunny day in Tulsa. You'll hear some birds chirping in the background and a slight breeze, a perfect setting for boosting your mental health. Mike spoke about how the work of his organization has changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. He opened our conversation by talking about what concerns him most right now when it comes to mental health during this crisis. Well, I think one thing it's really important for uh, your readers, viewers, to listeners to uh, keep in mind. So we think about COVID-19, we're, as you said, we're really focused in on if someone has a positive or symptoms, do they have it? Do they not? Can they get testing? If they have it, then, you know, we all have read much about, you know, from mild to very, very severe to life-threatening to even, uh, you know, mortality. But those are the people that actually are positive. The rest of us are all in a world where we're doing everything we can to prevent it. But, but the deal with mental health is that there is not one person who's excluded here. Uh, we know that people already have ex- uh, pre-existing mental health conditions. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, and the position that I'm taking and the position we at Mental Health Association Oklahoma are taking is that we are all being traumatized by this. No exclusion, mm-hmm. No exclusions. And we don't really know what, uh, you know, what, what the long-term short and long-term impact of that trauma is. And so, uh, we know about trauma, uh, that we know, we don't really understand why they're studying that all the time. Why is it some people experience trauma and they are very more, they're for whatever reason are more resilient and they recover and move on and don't have, uh, any, uh, lasting symptoms, uh, from that trauma. Uh, including 
potentially post-traumatic stress disorder. We don't know. It's much, much too early to tell. Will we be able to just recover, or are there people now that are out there who have maybe never had a mental health-related problem in their life of any significance that they couldn't manage on their own or with a little bit of help from their friends, so to speak, but mm-hmm. now suddenly they're becoming to be there. They there may be phobias, there may be avoidance, agoraphobia, there may be uh, obsessive compulsive symptoms that manifest themselves. We really don't know at this point. But the one thing we are sure of is that everybody is being traumatized by this. And that is not a small thing. Like you said, it's impacting everyone. Right. And so and we're all at different kind of levels in life. And some of us have more trauma or stresses than others. And it just seems like there's going to be some who are already in a pretty comfortable situation and maybe makes this a little bit uncomfortable. There's going to be some that are already on the edge or teetering on the edge. And that this pandemic, for whatever reason, maybe it's a job loss or maybe it's kids that are not in school anymore. It's just going to be kind of the, you know, the action that kind of puts someone over the edge. I mean, can you just talk about just kind of the the idea that just one more traumatic experience or one more kind of stressor, as some people may look at it, is just can be detrimental for some households and for some individuals? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the most overused expressions out there is uh, perfect storm. Well, okay, I'm going to use it. Perfect storm. This thing hits us. On, it comes at us from all around us in ways it, it's it's threatened our economic well-being. Uh, mm. Three weeks ago, uh, this country has been r- riding a long economic uh, wave, a positive wave that has been sweeping everybody along. We're not all doing the same, but but a lot of people, lots of people, the majority of the people, and I don't want to exclude those people that aren't haven't been brought along with that wave. Now that wave is. Uh, it's going out right out from under our surf, little surfboards. And so so there's that level. Then you've got, uh, you know, over our well-being. I mean, there's people out there that are, you know, they're worried about their, their aging parents. They're worried about their children. They're worried about, uh, you know, uh, they're not worried about what their school as much as what their school's doing with their children right now because their children are with them. But suddenly parents can't leave. Uh, the kids are cooped up. They're stressed. They're they're they're, you know, they're dealing with their own stress. The parents are trying to remain calm, and we're, that's one of the messages we're giving to parents. Try to remain calm. Your kids plug into your emotional state. Uh, if you're calm, they're more likely to be calm. But you've got kids out there that are that are very just by. I'm not talking about diagnostic level here. I'm talking about just kids and adolescents. Man, these kids have got energy, and they need outlets, and they've got. You know, and adolescents want to go out and be with their friends and, you know, uh, virtual gets it so far. And so they've got that. And then then it's like, well, how do you I mean, there's families that are going through lots of groceries right now. They might not be spending as much in gas, but they've still got to venture out and secure groceries in some sort of way that they're consuming at a much higher rate than they would oftentimes. Not every family. At, at, you know, so their grocery bill's gone up. They've got to go out there and risk themselves. So they've got all these worries. And, they, and like, as you say, they start to pile up on one another. And where is that breaking point? And for some of us, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's already past that. And others of us, we're just trying to figure out ways to do it. You know, they talk about in a, in a healthcare setting, 
we've heard over and over about universal precautions, hand washings, uh, safe distancing, uh, you know, all the things that we would normally do to, to try to protect ourselves and universal precautions. We're talking about now universal mental health precautions. What would those be? Those are things like, you know, good, healthy nutrition. Um, not utilizing substances or alcohol, I'll include that, absolutely, um, either prescribed or non-prescribed is a way to cope. Uh, we're talking about getting rest. That's hard to do when you're worried and anxious and you can't sleep. We're talking about getting exercise. Oh, well, I normally go to the health club. Well, people have got to figure out ways, uh, and there's a lot online, how to be able to exercise at home. So good exercise, good nutrition, getting rest. And the, the other thing universally we're hearing people that are still working uh, say if they're at home uh, is that it's exhausting. And I'm experiencing that right now. Then you've got people in your family or, or that are breadwinners or that are still having to go out there and they're in some type of designated essential services and they're still going to work. And so you've got worries about are they going to get infected and bring it into our home and infect me and the kids? So you got, I mean, this thing is coming at us in so many angles and, and deals. And that's what I'm talking about is when you add it all up, you got, you, we're all being traumatized in varying degrees. And I don't know if that's answering your question, but boy, for some people right now, uh, and that's why we're offering this as support groups, the virtual support groups uh, for all kinds of different ones we're offering now. We're getting ready to roll out one for first responders. We're getting ready to roll out one for frontline people. We're also getting one to roll out in a support group, a virtual one for just the general population. So, you know, these, this is a time people have got to take universal mental health precautions to help protect themselves and their families. You talked about the virtual uh, support groups that the Mental Health Association is starting. And you all are used to dealing with people coming to you who have trauma, used to helping those people and serving those people. But how has COVID-19 changed the way that the Mental Health Association interacts and serves clients? Yeah, we've had to, like many nonprofits, many businesses, uh, I call it the, the catch-all phrase I'm using is create, cr creating new business models and that we have to almost reinvent ourselves. So first and foremost, our position has been we must in every instance that we possibly can to protect our workforce and, and each one of us protect ourselves. If I protect myself, I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting by the way, we don't think of it this way. I'm protecting the people I serve. And mm -hmm. we've had we've had people, frontline people, our homeless outreach team, some of our frontline people, they initially were very upset with senior management, including me, because of we would pull them back into retreat mode until we could assess and figure out how do we how do we come back and re-engage and do it safely and try to do everything we can to protect them and protect those were serving in their families. And so by the, the virtual support groups actually was one of the easier ones. We needed some technology set up. We needed to work with our, so our support group leaders. We needed to do some new, different types of create some different types of hopefully relatively short-term support groups related to COVID-19 directly. But, but when you talk about the homeless outreach team, 
Um, we're, mm-hmm. We've redeployed. We're going out. Uh, we're mat, we've got N95 masks on as long as we have that supply available, which that's a whole other source of stress for us and many of our partners, the availability of those N95 masks gloved up and go out and uh, keep distance from each other. We work as a team, so we got we have to maintain diff- driving different cars, keep different distances from each other. But we're still going out to encampments, homeless encampments. We're engaging with people. We're still housing people. Uh, and it's slower, but we are housing people, both people that are currently homeless into housing, as well as people who are very low income market rate renters getting help with them get into apartments. So we're trying to do all that right now and. Uh, but we did close our two drop-in centers, uh, Denver House Drop-in Center here in Tulsa and Lottie House Drop-in Center. We just uh, cannot at this time figure out how to safely open those facilities. We're not medical facilities. Those are drop-in centers. We're not set up for that. And neither are the people who work there who all live in recovery. They're not trained how to protect themselves fully. We we just felt like the risk was too great, at least at this time. But we're trying to do business as usual, rent collections uh, from our renters. We're trying to uh, apply for grants and, and the SBA loans, the uh, payroll protection uh, plan. We're participating in that. So we're on calls and working every day, and it's uh, very stressful in the, in the midst of all this. Mike, uh, you mentioned earlier talking about the impact on families and kids. And um, as someone who covers education quite a bit, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time talking to educators and counselors and stuff about just, you know, how important that school building is just beyond, you know, the academics, just place to connect for kids. I think, you know, early on in this, talking to a counselor, one of the things that really kind of struck me was she said that after a spring break or another kind of break, they always see kind of a rise in DHS calls, kids come back to school, you know, they've been with families where maybe it's, it's a, it's a troubled situation at home and, you know, they come back and, and they have a trusted adult and a teacher that they're able to kind of talk about this. And obviously that triggers the call. Can you kind of talk about the specifically for children and students, you know, the importance of that school community and then what's lost in this and then what can, you know, this is not the fault of, of educators, obviously, but what can schools do? What can your organization do? What can we do to ensure that this, this sense of community that a lot of kids depend on isn't lost or what other resources can they rely on when they don't have that uh, direct connection? Well, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm going to talk, uh, uh, my education friends will, uh, with what I'm getting ready to say, they'll, 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 uh, they'll, uh, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will accuse me of, of educational blasphemy right now, but I, I don't care. I feel very strongly about this. So usually the hierarchy is, is that educators are focused in on, we've got to, we've got test scores to cover. We've got, we got learning objectives. These have to be met. Uh, we need to measure the learning uh, in the traditional way that we do education here in America. Uh, at, you know, uh, that's been highly successful, and, and those and we have benchmarks that we're measured against on that. And so we need to make sure that we 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 continue with that as best we can. Now, then, historically, in, in a normal school day, like before pre-COVID nineteen. 
then the mental health piece kind of comes secondary. It's not really always dealt with that much unless something really significant presents themselves. And then the schools do a pretty decent job of trying to address that. I would argue we need to flip that around right now, that we need to certainly not ignore academics and the assignments, what have you. But first and foremost, we ought to, those teachers, those counselors, administrators, we need to be reaching out to those families or pulling the kids together in groups, spending time with them talking about how are you doing? How's your family doing? Is there anything off the call that uh, one-to-one that we can help you with? And then I think we need to flip that around because we've always argued that if a, if a young person is not mentally healthy and they're preoccupied or disturbed or affected by something uh, emotionally, uh, pre- depression, anxiety, worries, fears, uh, whatever that may be, whatever the, the source of that may be, they can't function academically at full capacity anyway. And that we've always argued that. But I'm, I'm arguing now, I'm making a case for, let's flip it around. Let's just be really focused in on the well-being of these kids and these families and how we can help them. And the schools and then and that model can be our first line of defense to help us. And then we can then back them up and help them with kids and families that are having a particularly difficult time right now. And then we can take them aside and work with them virtually uh, and see what we can help them with, what have you, which then they can go on on their educational things. But I think they've got to really be very, very asking lots of questions and expressing lots of concern and support right now in that virtual learning process that they're all engaged in right now. Does that make sense? That's a... That's a no, it does. A, yeah, yeah. That's no. a that's a yeah. that's a that's a flip. Uh, that's a that's turning things around upside down for educators. But I think if they'll listen to my case, I think that I think they'll that a lot of them would agree. And, and you talk about teachers in the classroom. I I in the counselors out there. I think they'll agree with my argument. Mike, this is obviously you know a hard a very hard time for a lot of people. People are really anxious, and we talked about universal mental health care, you know, taking care of yourself. What, you know, as people are isolated and a lot of people are stuck in their homes or maybe, you know, they're considered an essential worker and they have to go to work every day. What can people do to take care of their mental health right now and kind of check in with themselves? Well, it starts with those. um, If you have to go out uh, and you're an essential in essential services, I think you have to really be well educate, educate yourself about, in my role that I'm in, what what is the, the lowest common denominator of what I need to try to protect myself? Now, they've gone to, let's say you're a worker at Reesers. And when I go into Reesers right now, I, the last time I went in, I just wore gloves. Now, if we go in, we're going to wear a mask and gloves. And we're trying to do, you know, online pickup. Uh, but so is everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get in there. But I get that. But if I have to go in... Every time I walk by those research employees, I'm thanking them. And these are people, they're not trained. They're, they're out there making sure that those food, that food is on those shelves. And behind them are people I don't even ever get to see that are in that, that, that food supply chain that are going out there every day that we need them to be out there every day or we're really in trouble. And so, um, you know, but what do I need? Uh, what is the, you know, where do I get, where can I get the information about what do I need to, to best protect myself? Uh, obviously, 
hand washing. I mean, hand washing, hand washing, hand washing. But then, do I need to wear an N95 mask in the role I'm in, or can I can I will it suffice for me to have either a nursing mask or a uh, uh, a cloth mask uh, in my role? Do I have, does my employer have access to me having gloves? Do I need gloves in the role I'm in, or is hand sanitizer and hand washing enough? So I think. That, that starts with me, you know, so th- it's interesting because if I know that, that helps me stay calmer. Mm-hmm. And then as, then I can move forward in with what I need to do. And then when I come home, what do I do? We're trying to institute at our house is that you come into the garage, you walk over to the wash machine, strip off, put your robe on, throw all your clothes in the wash machine, and then you go straight into the, in your ma- with your mask, a cloth mask. And, uh, you know, even down to looking at, I, I encourage people to look at, um, if they have access to the Internet, to look at YouTube on the proper way to take those gloves off. Uh, that in itself is a skill set to protect yourself. That we're not, the general public, we're not used to doing that. People in hospitals, they do that all the time. They get training all the time about that. But we have to do that. Then you, then you jump in the shower and shower and wash your clothes and what have you. So those are things that people out there can do. And that are going out, but they need to, and employers who are asking people to come in, they've got to educate, this is a two-way street, they've got to educate themselves too. So mm-hmm. that, it's interesting because if you take care of that, then it, that helps our mental health. Uh, if I'm anxious, and we've had people who just said, look, I, I, I'm not coming back in. Uh, we've had people say, I've got an underlying condition, I'm putting myself and my family at too much risk, I can't come back in. And we we have been very supportive of that, and we didn't know what would happen. I mean, man, we got people working for us right now. They're heroes. Uh, they are heroes, and we need to treat these people. Our healthcare workers, uh, our people stocking shelves and checking us out at Reesers or wherever your grocery store may be, Walmart, wherever it may be. These people are heroes, and we need to. Uh, let them know that we see them because if they don't come to work uh, or the people in behind that we can't even see don't come to work in our first responders, fire, police, uh, law enforcement, we need those people to go to work right now to protect all of us. These people are heroes, but we need to give them the information, the equipment. The number one thing I hear on every call it makes all of us anxious to fix my mental health is we is the is the shortage of I didn't even know the term PPE. I never heard that term, personal, right. personal protection equipment. Now we all know it, and you, I hear every call I'm on. What's your? They ask what? What's your number one need? I was on one yesterday. Uh, people all over the place on that call. Personal protection equipment. Personal protection equipment. We've got it right now, but we're watching our inventory very closely. We ordered 200 masks the other day, and that we felt like we needed to for residents and in our 24 seven properties in our staff, we got 30 masks. Um, you know, those are all going to be for staff. And, uh, so that's a real worry and concern that I hope that curves. But, uh, but I hope you're making, you're, you're making the connection there that helps us if we feel safe and we're Mm -hmm. following that, that really helps the general population with our mental day to day mental health and what we and then we got everything else to worry about that I named earlier our economics our jobs our kids are at home we're at home all we got all that but at least if you have to venture out when it, when we all do at some point uh, for the most part uh, we can 
know that we're as protected as we possibly can. Do you can you recall back to and of course this is so unique we haven't seen anything like this but can can you recall back to maybe after the you know the 08 recession or or other times when we've had some yeah. some down economic times of course Oklahoma oh, is yeah. no stranger to that what right. what are some of the things that we see in that aftermath that you know are are the most concerning or things that your organization is is going to be monitoring on top of I mean once we get past this or or as we're trying to get past this and rebuild you know specifically economically I mean what does that look like in the past and and what might that look like with with this situation well we we learned in 08 downturn and then you know like you say oklahoma's had you go back uh we've had uh, we live boom and bust here and uh we've been kind of on the uh more oil gas on the on the bus side of things for a while but uh but overall economics these things are like dominoes and they all these different economic systems interact very uh, complexly with each other in ways that, you know, you have to get a, you know, get a PhD economist to explain it all. But I think most of us, if you pay any attention at all, you can kind of generally follow and uh, how that works. But I think for right now, again, what we saw in the 08 turn downturn, uh, you know, uh, people, I'm 65. Uh, you know, I don't know what will be left of our money that we've been working for to save and plan for retirement. I have no idea what will be left of, in, of that, if anything, and hopefully uh, that'll stabilize. The philanthropic community, what I've heard from them, this year will be okay, but depending on what the markets uh, do and the earnings and what have you, uh, the philanthropic community, that Tulsa in particular, but also Oklahoma City, is so dependent upon, uh, their numbers may look uh, poorly next year, and that starts to trickle down into the nonprofit sector. Uh, you know, then you talk about you know jobs and United Way campaigns, and if people don't, uh, you know, I know Oklahoma City's seen their United Way campaign. It wasn't that many years ago. It was like I think it was like 23 million, and the last few years it's been 17 million. Uh, and we've been able to here in, Tul in the Tulsa area been able to maintain that at a higher level. But that's been a lot because of other, our economics are a little bit different than Oklahoma City. So these things all start to interact with each other in ways that we don't fully appreciate. I think that there's never been a time where uh, the federal government stepping in, and they stepped in in 08. And I think some of the interventions that, at that time that were criticized, I think in hindsight, I think everybody would look back and say, you know what? That was the right thing to do. I don't remember if you guys remember that. People were saying, oh, Ford, uh, General Motors, if they go under, they go under. The federal government in the end stepped in and saved those companies. I don't think anybody would question uh, or not very many people would question that was the right thing to do. Saved a lot, a lot of jobs. And it's the same thing now. So they're stepping in. And I think some lessons learned from 08 are actually being applied here. And we really need, with these very, very low interest rates, we really need the federal government to step in. And I think they're overall, they're doing a pretty good job with that. I think there's more to be done. And I think we're starting to see there's more coming. Uh, and there'll be a lot of tweaking to do. But I think that that's really important to preserve as best we can. There's going to be a, there's going to be a downturn. It's already started. How long that'll last, I don't think we all know at this point. But these things start to interact with families. And again, all the things I'm talking about, they penetrate into our our mental health. 
That's why right now people have got to take care of their mental health so they're able to function and continue to do the things that they need to do for their families. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Friday.